Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeff. We have an exciting launch that's happening on Thursday, June 11th. Head over to LinkedIn and look up Gain, Grow, Retain. Go ahead and follow the page, and we'll have more announcements soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. It's good to have you back. Um, Today, we had a really special guest on the podcast. His name is Chris Walker, and this is somebody that Jeff and I have been following for uh, quite a while now. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Refine Labs, which works with early and, and mid-stage SaaS companies to help them grow their revenue. And so we've learned a ton from him over uh, the course of building Customer Imperative. And we were, needless to say, really excited to sit down and talk with him about how some of the same principles that he uses in, 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 in driving revenue uh, can actually be utilized um, in maintaining and retaining customers and growing them as well. So excited to have Chris on the show and hope you uh, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. You know, there's this whole idea of outbound versus inbound on the sales and marketing side of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but how, you know, how do you think about how do you think about things from a customer retention standpoint? Because I happen to believe, and I think we see it more and more that the stronger the brand you have, the stronger the, the content you have, like all that content that you use to develop new business in your brand actually applies really, really well to existing customers. Mm-hmm. So riff on that with me for a minute. Yeah, sure. So I'm not sure if it was your post or someone else, but I saw something that basically, um, that basically was talking that like, retention ends up falling on the CSM. And I know from a metric standpoint, it does. Um, but retention is a business metric. And so, I mean, it's impacted by product sales, marketing, support, success, the whole entire business. And so, um, so I think it's just interesting that it ends up falling on that because I've seen customer success teams that are operating well and they're experiencing churn because the sales team's selling it to the wrong customers. The product actually isn't that valuable marketing's presenting the product in a different way than the way that it's actually used. There's a lot of different reasons. So I think I just find that interesting that then that, that metric ends up getting put on CSMs where I just, I don't feel like they have that much control over it. They have control relative to whatever the baseline is. Right. Um, but to say like, we need to be at 98% or whatever net revenue retention is just, I think, um, unrealistic unless that is your baseline as a company. Um, so, I mean, the interesting thing I think about how I approach my content um, that is different than most people do is that my content will work at any stage of how someone knows you between if they've never heard of your brand before, or they're an evangelist of your, of your company because it's valuable. And so when that happens, like the content that I post for my company right now, a lot of my customers like it and see it, engage with it. And it builds my reputation as being a leader that's able to serve them in the best way possible. It's a retention metric without actual it's a retention tactic without even having to think about it because it's also a biz dev tactic um and so yeah i i really believe in that most companies will create content to move people into a sales funnel for acquisition specific like we have a mid funnel offer here that will get someone's email address and then our sdr will call them in and they'll close and then i mean just for a couple things one the content is written solely to get people into a funnel to buy something so the content's actually not that valuable so your customers don't see that much value in it and the second thing is they only distribute it to the people that they're trying to acquire, not to their whole customer base. And so if you just change your mindset to, I'm trying to create content that's valuable, not content that's trying to drive leads, you actually create much different content. And it works better. Absolutely. But you know, you mentioned something earlier about VC-backed companies. So we work with a lot of both VC-backed and private equity-backed mm-hmm. a little bit you know, later stage, sure. you know, maybe up to 100, 150 million is a sweet spot for us. 
And it, it seems like there's such an immense pressure on the marketing team to generate leads that, you know, they don't really get to think about other things like building brand for the long term. Mm -hmm. And I don't, frankly, I don't even know if it matters to them that much to build brand for the long run, because some of it doesn't feel like everybody's in it for the long run to some mm -hmm. degree. So I think the funding back, the funding landscape sort of impacts this. Do you agree? Um, I, th I think it does impact, but I think it's just a mindset within the entire industry. Um, and it's, it's yeah. really interesting because what they're trying to achieve and the way they're trying to achieve it is not actually the best way. Like you would actually get better metrics on the things if you did things a different way, right? It's, if you're focused on leads, and this happens for most companies, is that you're going to get a bunch of leads and they're going to close to revenue at somewhere between 0.1 and 0.5%. So you're paying a very high cost. Like let's just pretend it's $200 a lead and they're going to close at 0.1%. Your customer acquisition cost is 20K. And so like, and, and that's just on the marketing cap. So then you have the sales overhead, all the, that's only on the advertising cap, not even on your marketing team, not even on. And so like, if, if you just look at it black and white, like, I don't think it makes sense. Um, but that is the, uh, this idea that, okay, we'll get this many leads, regardless of what channels we're coming from, regardless of what um, conversion points they're coming after, regardless of who they are, we'll just get this many. And then we'll have this conversion funnel that goes, okay, this many get to demo and this many get to here. Um, I, I find it very difficult to scale. And I find that it gets more and more inefficient as you try. Um, and so, I mean, the, the funny thing about how I got here is that I did all of those things in like 2015, 2016. And yeah. I just looked at it black and white. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. I looked at it and was like, okay, we're driving ebook downloads. I'm passing them to the sales team. And I'm getting emails back from the sales team. Like this person doesn't even work at a, a company that we could sell to. Like, why are you sending me this? Um, and so like, and that happened for a majority of them and even the ones that did get through, cause we were at ICP ebook downloads, the person wasn't interested. And like, you just end up wasting your sales team's time and the, the intangible effect of that, that I think most companies don't recognize is how much misalignment it creates because of the metric that the executive set for the marketing team creates the, the misalignment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could go on uh, for this, on this forever. Um, so yeah, happy to answer a follow-up on that. Well, it, it extends to, I was just thinking it extends into like some of those deals do close, which could be a bigger problem mm. than not closing it, right? Because then you're impacting your customer success team. Those people that are outside of your ICP have, they have different requirements that your product may not even um, support. The challenge is really that, that that approach does not align with how people buy things. And so it's aligned with how the seller wants to sell, not how the buyer wants to buy, which is why the percentages are so low. It's because I've never heard of your brand before. You cold targeted me on LinkedIn and asked me to fill out a form for your ebook. And now your SDR is calling me like, when is the last time anyone yeah. bought something like that? But that's the play that most SaaS companies are running right now and dumping 50K plus a month into that tactic. Like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I'm going to let Jeff get a word in here. But I want to talk about gated content in a minute because that's my new pet peeve. Is just, no, that's what I was going to say. That's, uh, I made a comment on Chris's post the other day where I said gated content's for the birds because um, it's literally like every piece of content that we go look at. Literally, I did it like three times yesterday and I went and filled out a fake email address because I just wanted a piece of content and I'm not a buyer, but I just want to see what it is. And it's like, you know, that doesn't help anybody because I'm giving mm -hmm. you a fake email address and now you're getting a conversion. Now your conversion rates are screwed up like, you know, we, I used to work for a digital marketing company and we had B2B clients all the time. And, um, like, just like you said, it's, you know, there, there's not a, a winning equation there. Um, if you're looking at solely driving leads or looking at things in very, everything has to drive a lead. Uh, and so I like a lot of the, the stuff that you've been talking about where you have to look at LinkedIn, uh, and, and a video on LinkedIn very differently than you would a case study on LinkedIn. 
uh, like those two things are very different. Um, and so one of the, one of the questions, or one of the things I'm thinking about is um, how teams, I feel like teams have really under leveraged how to essentially build their brand around their team. Like mm. companies have 90,000 employees like SAP. Mm. How is SAP, you know, not thought about a coordinated strategy on LinkedIn uh, to get the right content into the right hands of different positions in their organization to help them, you know, essentially build brand, do those things right. If there was a customer success leader or manager on uh, LinkedIn from SAP that had content that was being pushed out and then they had their own kind of readership um, that's different than a sales, it's different than marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think there's um, really like a lot of companies are under leveraging the fact that they could be building so much more with the people that they have in the building um, mm-hmm. and trying to essentially give them the right content to post on LinkedIn and coaching them to do that. Yeah, I think there's a, if we focus on like the really large companies like SAP, I think there's a couple issues. One, I think that the that companies are um, resistant to try new things. I think that's just one black and white. Like they've been doing the things the other way. And as you get to a bigger scale, it becomes harder to even like roll out something like that to your team. So I think that's one, just organizationally being resistant to new things and not recognizing how important it is given that the company is so large. Um, the next one I think is interesting, which is I think there are probably some type of legal concerns. They probably use it as an excuse not to do it. But I imagine like that companies, like for instance, we were once working with a medical device company, like they're FDA regulated. Having your sales team just post a bunch of content is a huge risk. Um, same with financial services. A lot of other companies that are regulated for that side will use it as an excuse instead of figuring out how to work within the, the, the play within the lines that are, that are given because you can. Um, I think the next one is interesting is that the stuff the marketing teams gives them is garbage and they don't want to post it. They don't think it's valuable and they don't feel good about posting it. And so I think there's a, there's a disconnect there. Um, which is that like, I'm not, I think it's always best if you have your own voice, not that marketing is giving you the voice that you're, you're, you have to work within. Um, and so, and I have empathy for this situation too, because I worked at companies and I didn't post my points of view on LinkedIn because of how the organization would view me. Right. And so for all of these different factors, it's clear why people don't, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. There's a ton of barriers. If you look at smaller companies that might be more agile, I think they have the same types of challenges. SaaS companies that are selling to salespeople is an outlier here. I think it's different. Um, but if you look at like a SaaS company that is selling to um, robotics engineers, like the next step is that the salesperson needs to decide whether they're, they're producing content to build their own brand so they can become a CRO in the future or if they're posting content to try and get customers because the content's not going to work the same and you can't mix them. Like I've never found that you can create that mix where it works. And so most people are going to choose, I want to build a personal brand because sales is something that I know how to talk about. And instead of taking the time to really understand robotics and create content around for robotics engineers that brings them value. And so if you don't understand that it works very interesting, like the, you see a lot of SaaS companies that are selling sales tech to salespeople and that seems to work. Right. But that's one little pocket amongst yeah. a ton of different B2B, um, different B2B situations. Um, and it, that's the only one where I find it works. Marketers selling to marketers, salespeople selling to salespeople. I, I, you made a post about that the other day and it actually got me to thinking like, so we're all about customer success, right? That's what we focus on. So it's like, we post on customer success, about customer success, and that's our thing. Like we focus mm-hmm. in on it and, that, and I think it sort of works for us. But what if we were to go into a different industry at some point have you seen, you said, you just said it doesn't seem to work that well when you mix the two, but have you seen techniques that people can use to shift in and out or does it just take time? And it's like the same, you know, the same slog. You just, you just sort of repeat what you did in one place and do it in another. Yeah. I see this. Um, I, I see two approaches that both can work. One is that you, you talk about your topic 
right? So in regardless of industry, so the things can work across all industries. I'm talking about, you know, strategic finance, and that can work across manufacturing, financial services, whatever. Um, that's one way to do it. That's the way that I approach it to marketing. However, over time, you might have noticed that I've gotten very narrow on SaaS because the more you're able to narrow in, the more the content resonates, the better the content is, the more unique it is, the more value it provides. And you see this like never ending kind of like um, continuous improvement in both the content and how the audience responds. Um, and so a lot of people that are going after multiple industries don't want to make that choice because it lowers their total addressable yeah. market, which I think is dumb because if you focus, you're actually going to have, you're going to be able to get more of a smaller pocket. It's much better to have 5% of a million instead of 0.1% of 5 million. Right. And so like, um, I, I think people don't, don't see it that way. I've watched a lot of salespeople, um, not focus marketers too. This is not like a sales versus marketing, like just revenue people in general. Um, because of the, the FOMO of the lost opportunity of a certain industry just continue to do kind of like wide vanilla messaging across a lot of them. Um, and I have over time decided to focus. I think it's just a, uh, a better approach. So anyway, both, both can work. It's really a strategic choice. So do you have customers outside of SAS then, or are they, you just pick them up in the net and, and if they come fine, but you don't market there. We, we do um, have customers outside of SAS, but we are like over the past four months have gotten like we have, We've been growing, we've been working on a process, we've been figuring out where it works, what types of companies, how it works. And like we have product market fit in high ACV SaaS that is fat, rapidly growing already and we accelerate that growth. So ACV greater than 6K um, that sell a product that have a, both an inbound and outbound channel and typically fall in the range of somewhere above like 5 million, five to 50 is the fit. I think this would work at companies that are even larger. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how we've been focusing. So do you, does your, uh, does your team or the companies that you work with, do they have, um, do, you, do you actually do any work with customer success teams to help gather the content and the material for, for the work you do? Or how, how do you engage with customer success teams? Yeah. So at, at the moment, we've broken our process into four steps. Okay. Uh, step one is foundation, attribution, analytics, reporting, making sure that we know what is working and what's not step. And then like looking at, for most companies that were coming in, like a $30 million SaaS company, they're already spending a million dollars plus a year on ads. So we have to assess what's going on and then recommend strategy changes. So that's step one. Step two is capture existing demand. People are already looking for what you do. So intent-based Google AdWords, retargeting, um, conversion rate optimization, lead handoff optimization, those types of things. The next step is create new demand use cold targeting social to deliver content, which then drives people through to, to um, opportunities for new demand. That's step three. Um, all of those are focused on net new acquisition. Step four is win on brand. And so typically we don't go from step one to step four because companies aren't ready to invest in those things. So I've designed the process in a way where as they start to see more and more confidence in the model, they then decide that it's okay to invest in brand. Um, and at that place, it's thought leadership, long form video, podcast, organic social distribution, whether it's driven through your company page, personal profiles, we can architect that. Um, and at step four is when you start to get benefits at the, at the customer success level. Um, all of the content we're creating, like I said, works across the entire journey. So when we send out emails, it's not segmented based on who's a prospect and who's a customer. Like the case study about how a customer saved $10 million using your SaaS tool would be applicable whether they're a customer or not right? Like even your customers would probably think that's cool too, if it's positioned the right way. Um, and so to say that we work directly with customer success teams would be wrong. Like we don't work directly with them, but I do think that over time, as we're in a company for six, 12 month period of time, it does impact that, that department. They have more content assets to use. They can, you, um, you know, the idea that like, 
a customer success manager has a 60 minute long form video, like something we're filming right now, that's super valuable and can send that to their top 50 accounts and yeah. give them something without needing to do like a QBR review for an upseller or a contract renewal. Um, I think is really interesting. Yeah. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about with our clients recently too, is um, this whole idea about advocacy and trying to kind of find your champions. And like you said, find people that'll do case studies that'll reference for us. And one of the things I think we've um, found is just not a, not a good kind of process that is closing the loop there. Um, oftentimes, you know, when we look at um, kind of a complete customer success program, like one of the ways is we're going to send out a, a relationship survey. We're going to send out an NPS survey. We're going to survey you. Um, and one of the things that we always want to coach our clients on is, you, you know, you take the high scores, um, the promoters from that, and theoretically, how can we cultivate them over time into kind of an advocacy program where mm -hmm. eventually they're going to become a reference. They're going to be in a case study. They're going to be in a, a long form video for us. Um, but really setting the stage and using the CSM and that relationship that they're building to kind of get the building blocks in place for that. Um, so I'm curious if you've seen, you know, over time in some of the companies that you've worked with, have there been certain models or ways that people have done that well in terms of bringing you uh, kind of somebody to the table that says, hey, this is a great use case or a great case study uh, for us? Or do you feel like you've always had to go kind of ask around and cultivate those, you know, as you start working with organizations? Um. So to, to be honest, that is something that like we provide strategic guidance on what the case study should look like and who it should be with and how it should be distributed and how it should be presented and all those different things. Um, but to actually identify the customers on the client side, like they know their data, they can go and slice and dice it. They know who their evangelists are. So we don't, um, we're not really detailed in there, but as a, you know, demand gen manager, brand manager, product manager at companies before in the past, like it's usually pretty clear who your top 10 customers are. And if you don't know them as a marketer, you should probably go and get to know them. Um, and so, uh, and then once you're able to build a relationship with them, you get opportunities for case studies, podcasts, but a lot of people that if you just reach out cold and say, Hey, you know, see that you're our top customer. You want to do a, you know, a case study with us. We'll come and we'll have a video crew and we'll film videos and it'll all be great. And we'll just take, take, take from you and not give you anything in return. Um, I just haven't found that most people are receptive to that. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's an there's a funnel for advocacy. There's a funnel for renewal. There's a funnel for upsell and cross sell. You have to treat it the same way, even more delicately maybe than you would like prospects at large. Yeah, it's just like why don't you just treat it as a relationship? People are always in it for what right. they what they need to get. Um, and so, like, I love the idea as a marketer about going to visit your your top ten customers in non sales situations to learn and to have something new to them. Like, it was incredible when we were selling to. Um, we were, we were selling to hospitals. I actually worked as an employee there and I visited the top 10 children's hospitals that were our customers and prospects just to learn. And every time I would bring a, a new clinical study that come up, came out that had nothing to do with our product and I would walk them through exactly what happened. And I got responses like, wow, you are the first person from a manufacturer that's ever come and actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, about these studies. Like, and so it's just, I find it really interesting, um, that, that the idea of like going and just providing value is something that is, whether it's not incentivized or discouraged, I'm not sure. It's probably just not incentivized. The behavior isn't incentivized. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting how that just plays out long-term. There's so much goodness that comes out of that type of meeting too, uh, because I think one of the benefits and, and one of the things that we continue to see as well is the more time you can spend with your customers, you start to pick up the language they use. You start to see, you start to see more problems um, that they're trying to solve. Like just to your point, like if we actually treated it like a relationship and we were invested and we actually looked at that person as like, how are we going to help them achieve what they're trying to do? Like you get so much more out of it because then if I'm a customer success manager, I'm learning all these things about how they're talking about their problems, how they're trying to solve them. I can go take that to marketing to mm -hmm. use in their, in their material. I can take it to product. I can take it to sales. 
And, um, and there's so many communication channels and two ways that things can go. And I think there's just, like you said, you know, sometimes the, the behavior is more incentivized to, hey, how are we just going to hit our retention number and make sure we just get right over the line instead of like, hey, are we actually helping our customers achieve what they want to? Yeah, I mean, or I have to, I have to get 25 case studies done in Q1, right? I mean, so what is that going to incentivize? It's going to incentivize me to go hammer on the customer base and get them done. I think, you know, what you're saying, Chris, really resonates. It's, it's like, think about uh, any normal relationship that you have in real life right? Like I can't walk up to you on the street and ask you to do something for me. Well, actually, here's a better example. Like I always, my wife is always having me like move some piece of furniture around our house. I hope she doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> like, and I always need help. Right. But I'm like very careful who I call on my list. Like who have I maybe done something for recently that, that, you know, I've, I've put, I think, you know, we, t- we think about it a lot of like putting money in the bank. Right. So I've put, I've made a deposit somewhere. Where can I go take a withdrawal? And it makes sense. You know, um, but I think in the B2B world, this idea that you can just pick up the phone or go, you know, on site with a a few clients, no matter what department you're in, being customer centric, like it's not just the customer facing teams that get to interface with customers. It should be marketing. It absolutely should be product. Mm -hmm. Take your engineers. One of the best Mm -hmm. experiences that I've ever had was taking engineers on site when I was a product manager to Mm -hmm. customers and letting them see. It was just like, they were, you had ideas coming out of their ears after those kind of site visits. Mm-hmm. Lately, so. I have been obsessed with the idea of qualitative measurements, yes. not quantitative, obsessed with it. Um, people push back on me all the time for it. Um, but the idea that you go into that meeting and you provide value, all it shows up in, in your CRM is as a visit or a meeting. Yeah, the quality of the meeting, how that person feels about you afterwards does not show up in some type of measurement data. And it might present itself in an NPS, but it, it's not the same. Um, and so I've been really, and it's a lot of the way that I use my, my content and different things. Like I care about how someone feels about me. Like I don't, I'm not able to really measure that. I can feel by based who's commenting, what they're saying, how frequently they're doing it, how they're engaging, who they're tagging. Like none of those things show up on a scorecard. Um, it wouldn't show up for a CSM usually either. Um, and so I really think that people should start to, we, I feel like we've overcorrected, um, from at least in marketing from being so fluffy and feely at the be like when there was no data allowed. So it was all about art and all these different, very subjective to way over here, which is like, we must measure everything. Everything needs a KPI. If it's not right, then things are going wrong. And there's gotta be a balance in the middle. I'm really trying to, uh, to, to strike it. But honestly, like I lean, I use the quantitative data to almost confirm the things that I find first and qualitative. Totally. We, uh, there's sorry, a great say, article. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Go for it. There's a great article in HBR a few months back about how metrics can actually be damaging. And, and the, the point that it makes is that they're just a proxy for whatever your strategy is, right? They're not the strategy itself. So you have to like constantly refine those metrics and make sure that what you're hearing qualitatively matches up with what you're seeing quantitatively. Mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. Um, the other thing, sorry, the other, the other thing that you just said there about the quality of a meeting and the quality of a relationship is something we've been thinking a lot about too. Sorry, am I still in your thunder, Jeff? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> well, so, but it, and you know, this gets into the systems a little bit, but Salesforce, I just posted on this last night, I think like Salesforce is so underutilized that most companies, HubSpot, any CRM, 
underutilized. Mm -hmm. We use it for pipeline management, but we don't use it to track not only our relationships going forward in the customer after they've purchased from us, but the quality of the relationship, the quality of the meeting, all those things that you just mentioned. And so we're, we're starting to get really focused on how we leverage that technology in a better way mm-hmm. to really track those things and having some qualitative metrics around what customer success teams are doing in general. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting because I recognize that if i if I was a CMO in a $40 million SaaS company, and I reported the metrics the way that I report them to myself at my company, I'd most likely be fired. Um, but it doesn't mean that the way that I'm doing it is wrong. It just means that the mindset inside of those companies may need to change. Yeah, We're, uh, we, we move fast over here. So if you saw the way that we report metrics to each other, just <laughs> Jay and I in building our business, you'd probably be even shocked. It's normally through Slack. It's just on a phone call randomly. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, look at this, you know? But we are, we are putting speed and efficiency over... I think to your point, right? Like depending on where you are as a company and kind of how you're maturing your own organization, like right now we're just, we're putting like speed almost in overdrive because we're like, hey, we need to put something out, understand what's quickly happening to mm-hmm. it and then be able to, to adjust. And, yeah. you know, to your point earlier, like we have, a, we have a team of just a couple of us. So it's like that works for us now. But as you scale, there probably needs to be, we need to put more measures in place, maybe have some dashboards, things that we can look at and rely upon. But mm-hmm. I'm curious how you think about um, some of the organizations you work with and, and like you said, trying to get speed to market and kind of efficiency and, and how you kind of balance those things. Yeah. I mean, my methodology is as fast as possible, do learn, do learn. And if you yeah. do that over six months, you're a lot farther ahead than if you took six months to plan a campaign and launch it. And so I think a lot of people, um, whether um, it's a idea of perfection, I'm not, I'm not really clear where the, the root of it, root of it is, or if the organization is, like they really need to present it in a way where the organization will be proud of them or something. Um, but like the first video I put out when I was running uh, demand gen in like 2016 was terrible. Like it was out of focus. I had flown to Arizona to do it. Like the, the girl that was filming it, like hadn't spent a lot of time behind a camera. Like it, the audio was bad. It wasn't good. But by episode three, we fixed it. And we had two episodes and we learned and we had two relationships and we figured out the logistics and all the other things. And like, um, I, I think there's, I think there's a balance between being um, like careless and being a perfectionist. And I think there's something in the middle where, where it can really, um, where, where it should be. Um, and so that's kind of like, that's the way that I've been looking at it. I think a lot of people do it differently. Um, the companies that we operate with, we try and put an agile plan together. And the, the key difference in where this presents itself in a marketing engine is like, instead of putting out one video a quarter and one ebook a quarter, why don't you try and put out a video every week? What do you need to, what do you need to change in your process for that to happen? There can't be 30 approval layers. We cannot be debating adjectives. We cannot be so selective on who we're going to interview. We can't only talk to people that have 100,000 plus followers. Um, there's a lot of different things that people, people artificially put up as red tape that prevents them from going fast. And so, um, I think identifying those things and sometimes like my company just becomes a little boost that they need to change that behavior. And then over time, the team's putting out three, three blogs a week for social, a case study, one webinar a month two you know, a long form video every week, this, and it starts to really create like an ecosystem where the stuff you're creating is valuable and you're ubiquitous and people recognize you as that. And so that journey is, that journey can be long depending on the company and their uh, willingness to change and their investment level and the quality of their people 
and a lot of different things. Um, but the first step is like being open to the idea that there may be a better way to do it in this day and age. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Jay started on LinkedIn after following you for a long time. And then one day it just popped in his mind. He's literally like, I'm just going to literally post every day for 30 days. And like, that's how, you know, he's like, I'm just going to stay consistent. I'm going to, I'm going to do this for 30 days. And then like every day we're going to try and look at who's, who's commenting. Like you said, like, we're going to start to just look and adjust. And then he's like, maybe after 30 days, I just wasted time and nobody interacts with my content. Or maybe after 30 days, you know, I start to build an audience and like, we have to keep this going. And obviously mm -hmm. that's what happens. Uh, but to your point, like, just setting even the goal to stay consistent and just almost like seeing it out and mm -hmm. the test. And uh, I like the way that you just said that earlier, you know, like the test and go and test and learn, like, you know, you have to keep doing that in order to find what's going to stick with your audience as well. Cause I think the other thing that we typically see and the question that we get asked all the time is uh, like, what are other companies doing for customer success? And that is great. And we can, we can surely tell you, you know, we've interviewed close to 300 different CS leaders in B2B SaaS organizations. So we feel very confident that we probably have a very good handle on that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like just because one other company does it doesn't mean it's going to work for your audience, mm -hmm. for your company, for the size customers. And so um, I think people also sometimes get lost in the fact of like, what is everybody else doing? And I think that's going to work. So we might, we have to do it rather than trying to think about like your customers as kind of like your unique cohort and trying to treat it that way. Look, I mean, we, I go in and audit companies in the size that we're talking about 10 to $50 million in revenue, spending a lot of money on ads, fast growing. Um, probably this year I've done somewhere between 10 and 15 of those. And almost all of them are do doing marketing the exact same way there. And that doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. It means that the tech vendors and the conferences and the leadership has trained you to do it that way. And so I actually think that by not following the crowd and thinking for yourself, you can stand out and probably deliver a better experience. Um, but a lot of people like to um, kind of fill, fill into this homogenous bucket because it makes them feel good that they're up to quote unquote best practices. Um, the last thing that, that, I'll, uh, that I'll drop here is that a lot of companies, if we talk about do learn, do learn, or like doing LinkedIn for 30 days, um, stuff like that, like the way that they set up the metrics almost almost undoubtedly sets up the experiment to fail. Like we go into companies, this is a this is true, that are generating 30,000 MQLs a year. And okay, so if we equate that to a, a month, let's just say that it's around 3K MQLs a month. And the first month that they work with us, it drops to 100. Ah. And everyone is scared. Freaking out, right. And then if they just give it the time, for one and a half to two sales cycles to actually let the pipeline build and let it play out, they'll realize that they'll get more revenue off a hundred leads than 30,000 bullshit MQLs. And they'll save um, a bunch of money too, and, right? And that is, that is really the reason um, why a lot of companies don't take the path that I take because they are focused on leading metrics that don't necessarily map to business results. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, our audience might not know MQL is marketing qualified lead, but typically um, not a sales conversion action. So they'll do something in the middle, like download an ebook or sign up for a webinar or go, you know, sign up for your field marketing event. It doesn't even matter whether or not they attend. And then you typically will have an SDR follow up in a cadence about those with people that really didn't ask for that to happen. Which yeah. therefore why is if you have 30, you need so many because they're not really trying to buy from you. They're not buyers at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. So just so you know, like when you go download that, that white paper, that ebook, and then you start getting hammered by the, by the person trying to get you on the phone, right? From your area code, when you pick it up, 
that that is like top of the funnel activity. It's not even really top of the funnel, right, Chris? I mean, it's bottom of the marketing funnel, but not really because mm-hmm. as you often say, most people aren't even in the market to buy, right? Mm-hmm. They're just trying to learn. Awesome, man. Well, this has been really, really great. I appreciate you doing that. When I sent you the email or the, the LinkedIn message to, to come on and chat with us, man, you, you responded in like 60 seconds. I think yeah. you're always on there, man. I but, love it, uh, man. Really right. appreciate everything you're doing. We have learned so much from you. Um, and uh, just, just appreciate being connected with you, man, and, and you doing this. So we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, good to meet you. And uh, next time I'm in Charleston, I'm going to hit you up because I'm going to, whenever this is over and travel safe, I'm going to make my way down south. You got to do it. All right. Got to do it, man. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.